Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let everybody know that this episode, number five, was actually recorded with video as well. Now, I am able to upload video to Spotify where you might be listening to this. However, due to a little thing uh, behind the scenes, it wasn't very easy to do so, long story short. So I would encourage you, if you are looking to watch this video of this podcast episode, head over to my YouTube youtube.com slash Aaron Mello, A-A-R-O-N-M-E-L-L-O, youtube.com slash Aaron Mello. Otherwise, if you're looking for just the audio version, you're able to do so on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. But again, if you want to watch the video of this in Real Art Studios in Taunton, Massachusetts, Ryan was nice enough to let us film there. And again, excited to keep the podcast studio build out going and more on that soon. But for now, enjoy episode five with Vincent at Tenito. All right, so we'll just get started to it. Um, this is exciting because it's gonna be weird to sit like this though and not look at you, so I'm just like looking out. So maybe I, I, should, maybe I should just turn a little bit. That's kind of what I, yeah. Yeah, all right. So I'll just change my position Once here. Once the studio's set up, and then you'll have it so you can be Yeah, we can just face. look right at each other. Yeah. It won't be as weird. So yeah. trying not to think about the camera, too, because this is the first time that we're adding camera to the podcast, which is super exciting, though, because now it puts a face to a name. Um, so I think then if we start with who you are, um, not looking for an introduction from you, but just how I know you. So looking back to... I think I had just moved back from Maine and the year was 2003, if I'm not mistaken. Our sisters lived in Arizona. We were going to visit them and we met, you and I met. Who was before that? Before 2003? Your sister lived with me. Yes. But did we, well, we, we might have met like, hey, I'm Aaron. Hey, I'm Vinny. Yeah. That's fair. But as far as actually meeting each other, I think it was the night before we left for Phoenix because I slept at your house or something. Yeah. So it's like, hey, I'm Aaron. Hey, I'm Vinny. Cool. We're going to visit our <laughs> sisters. Now we got to just spend the night together and hop on a plane tomorrow. So that was, that was a long time ago. And from there, it's been interesting to see kind of where, where our lives have gone based on how we kind of started our lives you know, where we lived and, and you going off to college and everything like that. So instead of me kind of going over everything about you, you know, feel free to bring in, you know, who you are, what you do, how you kind of identify what your life is about right now. Sure. Um, I also just want to add that trip to Arizona. There is one moment that I remember like vividly that stands out to me. Do you know what it is? I'm curious if you have like the same memory. I, I hope it's not the same one, but the one that I remember was you eating a pint of Ben, ben Jerry's. <laughs> not a lot I, has changed there. I, I I've never seen that. anybody eat an entire pint. And I was just like, this man is different. Hell yeah. Hell um, yeah. Yours? I don't, I'm not sure. Okay. I was just wondering if we like, so vividly, I remember um, going out there and there was, it was during monsoon season. Yeah. So we were out at like a baseball field and there was a thunderstorm at night 
and you were taking pictures and trying to get a picture of lightning. Got it. It was my first like actual introduction to like photography, not uh, like, um, like actual technical photographer. My mom was like into like hobby photography. So I've seen like digital cameras mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And like, you know, I, I, but like you were doing a long exposure shot and I just, like, I, I, I just remember that vividly because it was funny the other day. Um, my, I, my wife was like trying to take a picture of something. I'm like, oh, you need to do like a long exposure. You got to open up the aperture. And she's like, what does that even mean? And I'm like, you want to know how I know that? Closet nerd. Yeah. Anyway, I, that, that um, moment. No, I, I do absolutely remember that because I guess I might have been switching memories up of when I was shooting the lightning. I thought it was at another time that I went out there. It might have been multiple times. But I do remember now you saying that vividly because it was a, it was a school. The baseball field was part of a school, yep. I believe. Yeah. And it was weird to be at a school after hours. And I mean, I think it was summer anyways, because it was, I mean, there's always heat lightning out there, but it was very warm. So no, I, I do vividly remember that. So I'm going to have to find that picture and show you and see if that's the one that lines up yes. with what you remember too. And then I can put that here because now we have video. Oh my God. If you have that and you can insert that I, into this vlog, that'd I'm be amazing. almost positive. I have it on DeviantArt. Yeah. That, that moment was like my first introduction to the work that you've done and uh you know again thinking about how we know each other um and where we've all gone uh grown and where we've gone um i it just god it was so long ago and just to think about how far you've come in our journey um together i think is is amazing but you know anyway you know for for me you know, I, we, we've known each other i don't even what, what year was that you said 2002 I, well, I think I, mo- I moved back in 2003. Um, it was just before school started in 2003 because that we were going into our junior year. So I Ugh. believe that was 2003. I could be wrong because trying to think about it now, you're like, wait a sec. Maybe it was this time, but it was around that time. So it was yeah. around 2002, 2003. Man, so it's been about 20 years. Yeah. It's a long time. So, yeah, we... Um we've been on quite the journey together. So knew each other for 20 years. And now, you know, I'm, I, I, I married three kids work full time, um, kind of live that grind. So it's been, uh, an interesting journey over the, over the 20 years and thinking about going from driving the Toyota Corolla, hundred miles per hour downhill with a tailwind. Hardly, hardly a hundred <laughs> miles per hour. Um, well, see, this is this is why I was excited about this conversation is because, you know, for anybody who's listening now, my last two guests were photographers and I've had two solo episodes where some has been centered around photography, some has been centered around social media and just kind of me ranting on things. So I was excited for this specifically because you're the friend that I can call on when I might be feeling a certain kind of way, whether it's uh, personally in business, whatever. And you're not the yes man that's like, oh, yeah, you're valid in feeling that way. You're more like, well, did you think about this way? Did you think about that way? And I go, ah, he's right. I didn't (laughs) I didn't look at it that way or I didn't consider it this way. So for that, I'm always appreciative. And so it's that's why I'm excited to have this conversation, too, because we're not putting you in that bubble of entrepreneur. You're not self-employed and you don't have to be to be on this podcast. And that's why I'm, I'm excited because it's such a contrasting conversation that we'll have. So 
continue what you were saying about the Camry going 100 miles an hour barely. Yeah, just, <laughs> um, you know, I think friendship and the journey that it goes on is so not linear. Uh, and in 20 years, and I, I was speaking with my wife about this the other day, about how coming out of certain experiences in life, high school, college, I'm surprised by how few relationships I still have left. And I think that's just the journey of life. I don't think it's um, a bad thing. I don't think it's an, an indictment on the other people that have, I, we've lost along the way as like friends. Um, but I find it wildly interesting to think through how some of the relationships you end up with are probably not the ones that you would have thought you would have. Um, in that moment in time, in that, those years of my life, I think that there would probably be pe people I would consider have been closer friends than you and I were. Um, I thought we were good friends. We had experiences together, but I wouldn't have said that like, like if I had to say 20 years from now, the person to be sitting on a couch with, I didn't think it was going to be you. Fair. I think that's wild about life. And same thing goes for college. I came out of college. Uh, I went to school in Colorado. And there are two relationships I came out of that four years with. And both of those relationships were not the relationships I expected to be the people I still talk to today. Do you think there's a specific reason for that? Do you... Do you take some of that accountability on, on your end on why they're no longer friendships? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's some, there's some mistakes that I, of course, made as a person, some relationships that I probably um, would, you know, ruined, I feel like, is such a... Uh, a negative. It, yeah, and, it, and that seems like an extreme word, but there's certainly relationships that have probably fallen through the wayside. But I just think that as you grow as a person... Uh, I think that there are some relationships that cannot grow together, that they were built in a specific moment in time that filled a specific need emotionally, um, personally, professionally, whatever it may be. And then when you grow beyond that moment, you, your relationship doesn't transcend. And I, again, not to name names on a podcast, uh, there, uh, I, so I won't, but there was a specific person that I went to what I met in college. You can turn into a drama podcast if you want to start naming names. We <laughs> start, can go real viral that way. Start fighting. Yeah. Um, there was a person that I, I became really good friends with in college. We were roommates. Dude was there for me in a lot of ways. And, and you went to school in Colorado. Yes. That's a, that'll be a fun topic also. But when I made the decision to come back home, that felt like a betrayal to him and he was not able to see that I needed to go for my own growth that being in Colorado wasn't allowing me to truly like flourish as a human and in that moment I actually thought moving back home was a failure like I went out to Colorado to go find my independence and I didn't Fuck my independence. It was, it was challenging. You know, being on your own is very difficult across the country. And so I, I don't think that that relationship was able to transcend the jump. But the friendships that I had that did transcend that move were those relationships where we weren't so codependent on one another. Uh, 
so it's it's interesting just to kind of see how that happens, right? Like I and how you build the strongest bonds with those that you don't fully rely on in a specific moment to get you through. Um, but yeah, uh, and and you know, again, our relationship specifically went from high school to moving across the country to coming back to adulthood, children, marriage, relationships. Um, and I think that's because we were never really codependent on one, which allowed us to grow indivi- uh, individuals and then provide something for one another to need advice or when I need advice um, that we're able to offer that to one another. It's interesting too, thinking back that far because in high school, especially once I moved back from Maine when I was 16, I think, yeah, around 16, I became kind of this, for lack of a better term, party boy in high school where people would have me throw parties at their houses when their parents went away. And I would always invite you, but that wasn't your scene, you know? So I I look back on that and I remember one time having a party at a friend's (laughs) house when their parents were away and you did come, but just the the look of dissatisfaction on your face and that was where it was it was kind of odd too because i liked to drink and just be part of that social party atmosphere and that was not you and i never tried to be like vinny drink you have to drink to have fun but your argument was why do you need to drink to have fun and it was one of those things where i'm like who is this dude, you know? And it's you know, we still had a friendship regardless of the party situation, but going from that then, you moved to Colorado to go to, to college and you kind of took on that persona of party boy. And we don't need to go down that route, but it's interesting how things change so quickly also and seeing the different seasons that you've had in your life of punk rock dude, you know, playing drums, slinging some pizza on the weekends. <laughs> I to, still want to sling pizza. I, I still God, want you to dream. sling pizza. So we'll, we'll get a vote going. So <laughs> as long as I get one person that says you need to do it, then you're doing it. But going from that and moving out to college, like you said, to then coming home and developing kind of this new friendship. Because when you were in Colorado, I don't think we spoke. I don't remember really speaking because that would have been, when did you move out there? Uh, 2006. Okay, so it was right after high school. 2006 was weird for me because I had moved to New York right after high school. Yes. I had moved back, lived in what could be called a crack house for a while, and really started to bounce around again in my life after that. And we didn't reconnect for quite a while, I want to say, probably for a couple. And then when did you move back? I, so I remember specifically, I came to visit and I came to your crack house and met your baby, your first baby boy. Oh, I didn't live in the crack house then. Oh, <laughs> okay. Don't call my Taunton house a crack house. No, that was East Taunton. So I moved back in 2006. Okay. So 2006 would have been um, early 2006. I think it was around April. I moved back. I started doing landscaping. I lived in the crack house for a little while. And then I moved into my house right after Aiden was born. So it would have been... 2007. Aiden was born in uh, 2008 when you would have come back because Aiden was born in 2007. At the end, I moved into Taunton in, I think, again, March or April of 2008. Did I, maybe I didn't. 
I could have sworn it was in the apartment. I don't think I, I don't think it was the house. Um, and I don't know if I would have let you in the crack. I don't, I didn't, I wouldn't let anybody. You were still, <laughs> you were still with, um, your child's mother at the time. Okay. Cause I remember going to wherever it was we were going. She was there. So again, I, I, details there, but I remember we came back and, um, that visit, we were going to a party at a old high school friend's like mother's house. Without even naming names, I'm not even sure right now. So I guess we'll have to have that conversation. <laughs> or you can, you can say it and then we can just beep it out. Who was that? That, I mean, that was, um, I, I, Greg Moniz. There was a party there that I think that we were going to. In Whittington? I believe so. It's weird, too, because I've been talking about false memories lately. You know, like the Berenstein Bears thing, the Mandela effect? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that has been manifesting itself in my life so much lately where I'm like, am I, am I misremembering things? Do, is, is what I think happened? Act, did that actually happen? Or So anyways. Maybe, yeah, maybe there were two different visits. I'm not sure. Mind. It doesn't need to be specific. It, yeah, but yeah. I, I do remember when I was in Colorado um, that I, I came back to visit a few times. And mm -hmm. I remember specifically, you know, we, we met. But. Regardless, I think that the major point being is that, yeah, we, it's not like we were chatting every day. I mean, back then, back in the day in 2006, uh, you know, like cell phones obviously were a thing, but like it wasn't hardly, you know, yeah, you know, it's you, I was texting women trying to chase women. You know, I wasn't really like keep it, but yeah. And, and a lot of that was also on me. Um, when I, when I left Massachusetts, you know, I really felt like I needed to sort of distance myself from my old life to try to really find my independence. You know, seeing everybody we went to high school with, like go to UMass Dartmouth and just really seeing it be like 13th grade. Um, I just kind of wanted to get away from all that bullshit. And, and again, right, wrong or indifferent. I do feel like I, I, you know, this is where, again, when you ask the question, like what, what made you like, or what happened with some of those relationships? Like, that's where I feel like I made a lot of mistakes. You know, it, nobody deserved for me to just like move out and like forget about them. Um, especially, you know, some close people that, you know, I spent a lot of time with in high school. So, um, I do regret that. I, I do regret some of the relationships falling apart that were really important in, uh, in my life. But, um, yeah, going out to Colorado, I didn't really, I did not really keep in touch with, with a lot of folks. One person I did obviously is the woman I married. So we did keep in touch and, um, stayed pretty close throughout, throughout the, the four years there. So to, to hone you in a little bit on, on the Colorado thing as a whole, why did you go to Colorado? Give me the give me the shorter version of of why and what your mindset was going into it, because like you said, a lot of the, the peers that we went to school with or grew up with stayed close to home, you know, went to UMass Dartmouth and could go home on the weekends. You chose not to. Yeah. Um, so my grandmother. Moved from Long Island, so I grew up in Long Island, uh, my mom. Like we all grew up in a house with my grandmother my two aunts, my mom, and then my cousin, my sister, and myself. 
So it was, you know, the, the, the four women, four single women raising three children. And when my mom got remarried and moved up here, every, like all my mom's sisters started moving away. So my grandmother ended up moving to Colorado. And then she decided she didn't like the cold, so she moved to Arizona. So she's in Arizona now <laughs> with everybody else. Yes. Um, but I, went, I remember we went out to visit one winter, and um, I just remember going snowboarding Colorado Mountains. And I'm like, this is, this is where I want to be. This is, this is beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Um, so <clears throat> when high school was ending and was looking to figure out what I was going to do with my life, I actually was going to enlist in the Marine Corps. That's right. And I brought the recruiter to my house. And this was like right when we started invading Iraq. So, um, you know, perfect timing to try to convince Absolutely. your parents to sign up. Because I was only 17 at the time. Um, and I was trying to do the delayed enlistment program. I also was working at Johnson & Johnson's. The, uh, the, they, they have a headquarters in, in Rainham down in the industrial park. So I brought the recruiter to the house. It didn't go well. My parents said, I have to wait till I'm 18 to do that. Was so, that a surprise to them? Like, hey, I'm thinking of going into the military? No, they always, I, I was an ROTC in high school. So they knew I was always into um, the military. But the, I think it was a surprise to them that I brought the recruiter home to get him to try to talk sure. to signing me up. And... So I, I, anyway, that didn't really work out. And I was confiding in some like of my mentors at Johnson and Johnson's and they really like convinced me to go to school, uh, and not do the military route. So while I was doing some research in schools, you know, CU Boulder came up as one of the top, um, like, uh, biochem programs in the country. I'm like, Oh, that's wonderful. I love Colorado. It's beautiful. I want to go there. So I applied to CU and I applied to a couple of schools in California as well. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it was it, like leaving Massachusetts for whatever reason was always the goal. Uh, I, I just didn't want to be. So I was going somewhere, whether it was in the military, whether it was Colorado or California. So I got into CU and um, yeah, the rest is history. What did you go out there with intentions to accomplish as far as schooling goes? not spending $170,000 and getting crushed with student loan debt. Um, but here I am. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, so I originally, like I, I working in Johnson and Johnson's, I, I wanted to be in sciences. I love science. I always loved sciences in high school and I couldn't really ever figure out like what type of science I wanted to study. So I wanted to be pre-med. I always felt like I wanted to be a doctor. I don't really know why. I just, I always felt like medicine was really interesting. Um, but I fucking hate school. Like I hate the concept of school. I think that school is very, um, behind in like where we are. Like it feels like a very industrial age, sit down, you have a class, you cannot talk to one another. You cannot collaborate with one another. You're going to memorize this like specific process and then we're going to attach you on it. And it feels very like reminiscent of like standing in front of an assembly line, putting stuff together, listening to your manager and like punching a time card and having a whistle blow. Like, so I, I don't, it felt really out of touch, like school. Like I always had a really hard time figuring out how school translated into like real world skill. 
like I went to college. I was spending $35,000 a year to go to school to take an art history class. Like, I, I like the, the core requirements of college. Like, I wanted to go to be a doctor. Why the fuck do I have to take an art history class or an anthropology class? Like, you want me to pay you thousands of dollars to better myself as a human being? Well, the experiences of paying my own rent, trying to find my own way, like taking that, like financially owning my entire way through like this experience um, was way more like shaping and like exposing me to like the world than your $17,000 art history class. And I always had a really hard time making that connection. Like I wanted to learn the subject matter that was going to be like around science. I didn't want to do all the other bullshit. I didn't really succeed in that. I didn't do well. You weren't invested financially. You were invested or you're going to be invested whether you liked it or not. But you know, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, you were not in it. Where did that start to fall apart? I guess. And, and where did you then make the decision to go, this is not where I need to be. This is not what I want. You know, fast forward a little bit. So 2008, uh, <clears throat> the housing market crashed. I think, you know, the, a lot of our, a lot of your listeners are probably our, around our age and probably remember so. the recession of 2008. So being a junior in college with a hundred and something thousand dollars of student loan debt, not really knowing what you wanted to do. Because by junior year, I, like, I kept going back and forth. I didn't know if I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't know if I wanted to be, um, I thought maybe I'd like be a nurse, thought maybe I would be a paramedic. Like I knew I wanted to do something in medicine. I just didn't know, like I was so in debt that I was like terrified of more student loan debt, more school. So medical school almost became an improbability. But knowing that I needed to graduate and find a job when everybody was losing theirs was, was horrifying which is when I started thinking about the military again. Oh, it came up again. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I originally, I went back to a recruiter in 2008 in Colorado to get a job in the army reserves to help finish paying for school. I ended up getting an injury in the gym while I was working out. Which, side note, you became essentially a bodybuilder for a short while. I did, which you couldn't tell now, but yes. That's so, something we also haven't really dove into where that whole thing started, but that's a, that's a fork in the road again, as we could continually do. But. So, in, um, so I went to a recruiter. I, I, I wanted to enlist in the Army Reserves. I was getting close to shipping out for basic training. I withdrew from school. I put my notice in at work. Like I was like getting ready to go, and then I got injured, which kind of left everything up in the air so coming home really was like the only option and at that time my wife now and i were dating we were just long distance so like coming back home was like the only logical decision at that point knowing that like trying to come back from all of that in colorado would have probably put me further in debt and been much more difficult And what was that transition like coming home then? Because I had spoken to somebody recently about Colorado. It's just a different lifestyle. And you just envelop yourself in that. And it's very different from Massachusetts, as I'm sure most people listening understand Massachusetts as opposed to Colorado. So 
What was that transition like for you? You had mentioned, you know, feeling like a failure, but how did you, how did you combat that? What did you do then to feel like you again, being kind of home, but in a new light? Yeah. Um, well, I didn't, uh, until a lot of therapy and working through a lot of that and getting some closure and acceptance of the fact that the past is the past and the things that I, the mistakes that I made are what made me who I am today. And it, but it takes a while to figure that out. When, when, when I moved back home and I got kicked out of my parents' house and was living at a friend's house and couch crashing, delivering pizzas again in my twenties, like I felt like a fucking failure. Like I was an abjunct failure not where I wanted to be. Um, and, and to be honest and not to be overly corny, but like the only person that I actually saw, I think me for me was, was my wife and was really there for me and by my side and supported me and really gave me the foundation I needed to start taking some chances, um, with, with jobs. So just, yeah, it, it, it took a while. It took a while to finally feel <coughs> like I could, course correct i guess is the word i'd say you know when something like that when you have like this whole plan figured out then <coughs> something like that happens you figuring out how you uh how you pivot is tough but what were you doing in from 2006 to 2010 Damn, that was an interesting time of my life because <clears throat> i in in 2006 i moved back from new york as i had mentioned and I lived in the crack house. I was landscaping as my uncle owns a landscaping company. So I was any cash I was making during the week I was spending when we'd go to the club on Friday and Saturday. So the four or five hundred dollars that I was making a week mostly went to that. Um, I was eating out for every meal because the house was disgusting. Literally maggots. It, it, uh, we won't even go there. But so then when my older son's mother moved back from New York after that. <clears throat> we got back together. Um, we started dating again and we had a, a kid at the end of 2007. So I had a one bedroom apartment in Bridgewater. We moved into the house in Taunton and just kind of went full into dad mode after that, you know, so from 2007 to 2010 was just straight dad mode. There was a time in 2009, I believe, where I didn't have a job and I was, I was unemployed and I was being 24-7 dad and I had my son 24-7 and it was great <clears throat> and it was killing me at the same time because being a single dad, having a child 24-7 is not easy. <coughs> fucking tickle in my throat <laughs> um so you know and 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 i enjoyed that we get 9 25 you have to hop on at 9 30 and i enjoyed that but there was a point in that time too so around 2006 i guess i should back up a little bit where i was selling cell phones that is something we have in common yeah absolutely we and we have that. to get into that um and just the sales aspect as a whole <clears throat> But where I just felt I was, I was at a dead end. And again, an army recruiter came to my shop one day and was like, hey, you ever think about joining the army? 
And I said, no, but let's talk about it. And it turned into a very quick relationship, right, where I said, yeah, I'm kind of on this empty path. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And this was before I had my son. So I just felt lost. And and I think to some extent, you know, they take advantage of that. Oh, you're lost. Let's go into the yeah. military. 100%. So we had the conversation. I went down to the office. I took the test. I scored well on the test. And he said, you could essentially have any job you want. And I said, oh, man. Uh, and so, you know, 20 year old me, 19 year old me was like, I want to be a trigger puller. Like, why not go into the military just to shoot? Just being young and dumb. And I'm like, well, what do you like to do? I said, well, I'm, I love photography. Well, you could be a combat photographer. You have to take pictures of everything that's going on. So cool. Let's do that. You know, and at the time, my younger sister, who I had developed a very close relationship with because I was there through all the doctor's appointments when she was born, everything. She was kind of like, I looked at her almost as like my own. And I said, I can't leave her. I can't go into the military because her. Whether that was really my excuse or not. But that long story short, that kind of fizzled out. And I just, I couldn't sign. I, I, I got to the point where they're like, all right, you know, sign. Here we go. Like, let's get moving. And I said, uh... No. And I went back to selling cell phones and he would stop by every now and again and be like, hey, what's going on? How are things? I'm like, oh man, I'm doing great at my job. I'm crushing it. I'm making all this commission. I'm happy as shit. So just to get him off my back. Um, so yeah. And then from 2007 to 2010, I just kind of had this weird thing of of just being a dad, but not knowing what I wanted to do. And And I too made the mistake if you will, of going back to school because I thought that's what you needed to do to be successful. Yeah. Here's all these things that I like. I like graphic design. I like business. I think I like sales. I, I need to go to school now to get a piece of paper to say that I'm good at all these things. And I, I didn't have time as a single dad to really accomplish that. I couldn't invest in that. So when my son would go to sleep, at nine o'clock at night, you'd see me trying to crush through these books and these tests and papers and I didn't, I wasn't disciplined enough. So I would sit there with like a bottle of wine or a beer and I'd try to crank out as much as I could yeah. and then go, I don't really have the, the patience for this anymore. So I'm just gonna, yeah, we'll just chalk this one up as a loss, uh, as a loss. So it was just F, F, F. And it's like, I'm just wasting my time now. And I think 2010 then was when I started to find a little bit of direction with sales jumping into more sales jobs, more that I thought was going to be sustainable. And that's when I became um, a business development rep for BMW. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I get to work with $100,000 cars. I get to take them for rides on my lunch break. And I get to just feel like I'm in this world of luxury, even though I drive a, a, a what, what you, 2001 Honda Accord or whatever it was. Oh, it wasn't the Acura? No, not yet. Not the yet. Acura didn't come along until I actually started making money sync that sound all right <laughs> awesome so, so we had to take a quick break do you know where we left off yeah we were talking about you um i think it was around 2008 we were selling cell phones we i think we stopped specifically when i was talking about working at bmw oh you're right um, yeah this is this is why we can't have your work interrupt our podcast this is really important um so yeah it, it's just uh, getting into a job like that i think made me feel like i had a big boy job because at that time I was 24, I was making decent money, but I, I think getting to play with those cars was fun, but 
that's when I started to realize that the burnout is real. Working 50, 55 hours a week on top of being a dad. So still knowing that that was what I wanted to, to focus on was being a dad, but knowing I needed to work to provide. I, there, there, there came a time where it just got too much and I said, I can't possibly work this much and still have an enjoyable life with my kid because I'm, I'm missing out now. Yeah. So we went through that. You know, I settled for a while. That's when I just thought, okay, this is, this is what you do, though. That You have to have that burnout. You have to complain about it. You have to make money and you move on, right? So that, that went on for a few years and we start going into 2013 where the funny thing about that is I quit slash made them fire me which is a weird thing to to say um but just the very simplest part is it's kinda I, like when you don't know how to break up with a woman so you like go out and just be a dick bag until she breaks <laughs> up with you <laughs> it was it was kind of like that where i was putting up a fit because they wouldn't let me take my vacation and the way that my schedule worked i had a very different schedule from everybody else so i could spend time with my son and bounce back and forth yada yada and i was putting up a fight about having 10 days of the month off no they're like, you're going to be off for 10 days. That's a third of the month. And I'm like, well, that's how my schedule works. And then I want to take vacation. And stupid me at the time, I went to HR thinking I was doing the right thing, going, I'm having an issue with my manager. And they're like, mm, okay, we'll make this quick and easy for you. Long story short, they ended up firing me. And the funny thing is, if you're following along, I worked at BMW, the vehicles, they fired me for theft. What? <laughs> just that yeah that weird silence right where like time theft uh commission theft setting improper appointments there was there was no there was nothing behind it there was absolutely oh no God. reason for them to do that other than to try to be uh because they couldn't fire you because you wanted time off yeah they they had to fire me they had to find a reason to fire me yeah. and yeah try to stop me from collecting unemployment right so they fired me saying that i was i was setting improper appointments that i shouldn't have and collecting then commission that wasn't proper so i was stealing essentially commission right sounds about right which was funny because it was just them trying to just fuck me in any way that they could long story short i fought with unemployment and i got unemployment which ended up being one of the best summers that i've ever had because it was Let's see, probably April or May, my son was about to be done with school so he could be on summer vacation. And at that point, I said, you know what? I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to collect unemployment and I'm going to spend as much time with him as I could. And it was awesome. It was so awesome because at least I could pay some bills, most bills, rent, and spend as much time with him as I possibly could. And I, I never regret it going down that way. Um. So that, that, that's kind of, I mean, we're, at, we're in 2013 now, yeah. if, we, if we start using time, time points here. So we had mentioned too, that we have a similarity of selling cell phones. So this is my, this probably backs up a little bit, but we've had this connection to of sales. I've been in sales most of my life from selling cell phones to selling home security to cars to software. And we overlap because you sold cell phones. And then you sold software. And that's when we kind of really started to, I feel like, link back up and develop more of our friendship again, because that was 2017. And 
there was a time again, probably from 2013 that we're, we just ended talking about to probably 2015 or 16, where we didn't talk a whole lot. We started to reconnect again after uh, a failed relationship of mine kind of took precedence in my life and we just connected again. So 2017, we reconnected and worked for the same company. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought about this before we even had a conversation that I wanted to pull up the Glassdoor review that I left on this company <laughs> that ended up going company wide yeah. because it was so great. But this, if you want to take over, cause you were at this company first. Yes. Tell me a little bit. This is, this is where the sales thing comes in. Then tell me a little bit about this company. You don't have to go far into it where you were at that time then thinking, okay, sales is my path. Yeah. So really, so this was actually a big turning point for me in my life. When you, you asked before, about how coming back home made me feel. Um, and I, like, I, I felt like an adjunct failure. Like I did not feel like I wanted to be where I wanted to be in my life. And a lot of the jobs that I had trying to get there, um, I felt kind of very similar to that is that, you know, uh, worked in sales, sold cell phones. Um, and then I moved into a role, uh, with Sony PlayStation which was like the best job I've ever had in my it's, entire it's, that's life. That's a kid's dream at that point to work for a video game company yeah. because yep. you're not working for Sony. You're working for Sony PlayStation. PlayStation. So this was an area like, and I know I backtracked a little bit, but um, I was not making a lot of money in that role, but it was the best job I've ever had. And that was when like, again, I already mentioned about all my student loans, like, I had this external pressure that I needed to continue to move up the corporate ladder because if I didn't, I would never be able to afford a home. Is that when your, your mentality of that corporate ladder really started to develop? Yes. Okay. I applied for two different promotions at Sony PlayStation to go to headquarters, moved to San Francisco. Um, and I got denied both opportunities and the second, the, the second opportunity was really the one that broke the 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 camel back for me at playstation which i realized that like if i didn't move on i was never going to move up and i couldn't continue to make the amount of money i was making working there so i was we had sales conference every year out in vegas for sony playstation and i was walking back to my hotel room after one of our sales sessions and heard the person behind me talking about how he got the job that I thought I was getting. Oh, so I approached my boss's boss about it. And essentially they only made the decision because he lived in San Francisco and they didn't have to pay relocation. Um, so I was like, okay, like I'm done. I looked for another job. Um, I regret looking for another job because then I went back kind of to retail. That's when I went and started working for a very large retailer that we used to call the stores, the fruit stand. So to not necessarily like put that on blast. I don't, I don't even know what that is. Do I know what that is? Yeah, it was Apple. Fine. I worked at Apple. <laughs> I went to go work at Apple. I don't know. I'm not sure. Somebody if from Apple is going to hear this, this and be like, no. by Apple. Um, so I went and worked for Apple. Which, like, was sort of a humbling experience to be like, I left T-Mobile to go to PlayStation. I got out of retail specifically 
and felt like like when you were talking about your big boy job, getting a job at Sony PlayStation, I started to kind of feel like an adult again. Like after making all the mistakes I did and really feeling like my parents made me feel like I was a child again and having to deal with all of that, Sony PlayStation was like the job that made me feel like an adult again. So when I left and went back to Apple and no matter like you can put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. And no matter how much Apple tries to say that they're different, it's still retail. It's retail. It's retail is retail. retail is retail. And yeah. just like sales is sales is sales. Yeah. yeah. So an Apple, like this is when I knew I was a really good salesperson. I was always number one in sales for the year, every year at Apple. When my son was born, I took six weeks off. Six weeks, I was not working. Not a lot of time. I still finished third in the wow. store for sales. Um, but I, I could, just couldn't do the retail hours as a father. Like the retail hours were killing me. I was never really being able to see anybody. So that's when I, um, one of our business customers at Apple, not sorry, I went on this tangent to get here um, because naturally. In my role at Apple, I was not just a like regular salesperson. We were called experts. Uh, gotta love this, the, the great self-promotion. Morale. As an expert, we were really just sales leads, like if I could put it into like normal words. So we handled a lot of the higher ticket item sales. We were the ones that like dealt most like front of house with business accounts. So there was a software startup in providence rhode island that was one of our business customers oh that's how this connection that's came how to be connection yeah came. i remember this now so i did a lot of work with them i i i oftentimes serviced or i didn't service because i was in sales but i would like intake a lot of the service requests for their computers i would help them out on their refreshes when their leases or their employees leases were up and they swapped out their machines i i serviced a lot of this uh this company's needs so one day and going back to like serendipity and like relationships, uh, my wife had worked at an insurance agency, local carrier uh, in, in Massachusetts. And she had a friend at the time who, again, she doesn't talk to anymore, which is always weird about like kind of, again, weaving relationships in and mm -hmm. out. This relationship was so important to me, even though it was my wife's relationship, we were at their house and I was just shooting the shit with this woman's husband. And I mentioned about how I was looking to try to branch out of retail. At that point in time, I probably put in 80 applications to different companies trying to leave Apple and get to like a big boy job again with three interviews and no job offers. And I was just talking to him about like, oh man, you know, it's just been really frustrating. I'm trying to get like out of retail. I mentioned this company. I was like, I was really looking at this company here. I, I think I'm going to apply to this role. He goes, my brother-in-law works there. I'm like, oh, who's your brother-in-law? He said a name. So I looked him up and lo and behold, it was the, our chief revenue officer. His brother-in-law was the chief revenue officer of this company. So he called up his brother-in-law and submitted my resume. And I got a referral into the company by the chief revenue officer. So when HR called me for an interview, they're like, we've never had a referral from this. So um, I guess like my major point 
about saying all of that again about relationships and how sometimes like relationships come into life and they're the relationships you really need at that time, but sometimes they don't necessarily carry through. But that's how I got the job there. And that job was so important for me as it was the, my transition into like quota carrying hard sales into solution engineering and where I was able to kind of take a step off the front line of sales and more into a advisory consulting role of solutioning. I know it's like kind of same, same, but different, right? Like selling and solutioning kind of sound the same, but like I really was able to take more of a customer focus and think through the technology that was needed to be in to support the businesses. And I was able to take a consultative approach. Um, and my career took off from there. Like it was basically a rocket ship from absolutely that moment. So So really important from 2017. And, and I, I'm so mindful of that as well, because we had similar backgrounds in jobs because we weren't in careers at that point where we were unhappy. Sales is sales is sales, right? So if anybody who has been in a sales position, you know, that's all you need to say. You've been in sales. Yep. You know, anybody who doesn't know what a sales role is like, it's just, it's, it's constant pain. Let let me, (laughs) let me leave you all with a little, um, I don't know, uh, an analogy, a metaphor, a visual. I want to paint a picture for you. I remember we went to go walk to a local donut shop and you told me that your boss said, put a mirror at your desk and when you're talking on the phone, make sure you're always smiling. At this company that we worked yes. at. So that, that the, the company that we worked together at who was constantly in my role, my superiors were, were an assembly line, people that just weren't cut out for it, but also to blame because the company was just kind of a shit show. And I, she specifically said, put a mirror at your desk. So when you're call, when you're cold calling, you can be smiling and your smile will be heard through the call. That's pain. <laughs> not everybody's built for that. I'm not, I, I have a personality. That's for people who are just robots who pick up a phone to cold call somebody, look at themselves in the mirror and go, hi, can I speak with Michael? And you're just like, most of the time, no, Michael's not in because you have the gatekeepers. That's a whole different story. That's, that's a visual that I haven't relived for a while. Thank you for bringing that up. It it just, (laughs) I think it goes to show, right? Like in a lot of these sales jobs where they do turn over, um, sort of the top of funnel roles, business development reps, you know, your top of funnel folks, your marketing people they would rather pitch. I mean, listen, like, sure. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fun idea to say that. Like, I totally understand that, but like, why don't you invest in some sales training some challenger training, bring in a, uh, you know, bring in a certified trainer that can come in and help teach some techniques versus, you know, Oh, put a mirror at your desk. Like that's how sales can be. They weren't a very well-organized sales organization. (laughs) For lack of better terms, you know, I had been in so many other sales roles where, you know, they did invest in nationwide trainers that would come in and, 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 and train our company as a whole. But this place, which is sad too, because it felt like, so for anybody who's ever watched a movie about these, you know, cool offices, right, where 
everybody's just kind of all together on their laptops. It's just easy going. People are walking around. Ping there's pong, there's beer ping pong on going on. There's beer. There's coffee. There's good food. The walls are painted all these vibrant colors. So it just looks fun. It was all a facade because I got that role. I was like, this feels so cool. But the other thing that really took me out of that role was when I was going through training with a few others and being downtown Providence, that's where we always used to go to the club. So I, I knew I knew Providence very well. Yep. Um, and I, I talked to a couple of the people that I was training with that got hired with me. I said, oh, you know what club it used to be right down that way? And they're like, no, I have no idea. I said, wait a second. How old are you guys? They're like, oh, we're 20, 21, 22. And right there, I knew I was in the wrong fucking position, maybe even the wrong company, because at that time I was 30. Yeah. And I just felt so out of place. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big moment where I said, this isn't probably where I needed to be. And that's where I said, I'm in the wrong role. I'm going to go not straight to the top, but as far up as I can go and say, this is my experience. This is where I need to be. And that's when I spoke with, uh, what was his role at the time? The, the, the gentleman that you spoke with, Kyle. Yes. What was his role in the company? He was VP of sales. He was VP of sales. Okay, so I went to VP of sales. I didn't go to the BDR manager. I didn't go to the sales manager. I went to VP of sales and said, look, I need to be in a position where I make money because I'm good at what I do. And he was like, yeah, I'll see what I can do. And never came to fruition. Made very, very, very little money. And I don't know how I even paid my bills at that point because that was bad. But the point of this story is to this is kind of where you had a springboard for your career because absent of me and my experience there, you just you took off like a rocket and it's an, it's it's admirable. Right. But it's also as as you being one of the best people in my life, I go, I'm I'm happy, you know, like. That's what a lot of people, I think, lose out on. Why is he getting these positions? Why is she getting these roles? Why are they making more money than me? Where I'm like, dude, go. Go to this spot. Go to that spot. So you started to get into your actual big boy roles then because I wasn't far behind one of your uh, moves, right, where you went from Providence, Rhode Island, which is a cool city, a cool upcoming city, if you will, especially in the tech scene, but then getting to Boston. Yeah. Which yep. for, I think, anybody, Boston can be overwhelming, but you also look at it as, wow, this is, this is a, a good position to be in. It'd take me a little bit through, you know, you don't have to dive into the roles, but tell me where that transition went from this company then to then getting to a nation, worldwide company, a couple of them. Yeah, so... Our company, as I, I'm sure you remember, the company we worked at together was sold to a venture capital firm. I knew in that moment because I had a role where I was an N of one. I was the only person doing that job. The writing was on the wall. Like, first roles to get cut when a VC comes in, N of one roles. Mm -hmm. Like, they get down to brass tacks, meat and potatoes, sales, churn. Like, what is our LTV to CAC, right? For those that don't know, LTV is <laughs> lifetime value. CAC is cost of ac customer acquisition. Startups, SaaS startups specifically, um, they live and die by this metric. So how long are customers subscribing versus what it takes to pay for them? If it takes, you know, say $60,000, and I'm, I don't know, actually, let me make numbers easy. Say it takes 
$10 to acquire uh, a company, but you charge a dollar a month for your service, that means that you need 10 months of them being a paid customer before you break even. And that's what that LTV to CAC ratio is. Anyway, whole point of why I'm saying that is because I recognized right away that like I was, I would be in the ax. I was kind of a sales support role. I wasn't a hard seller. I didn't You kind care. of made your own role there. I did. I forced their hand because I went and got a job offer from our major competitor and I forced the CRO to, pro, um, to provide me this role, which when the VC firm came in, I saw the writing on the wall. I started networking. A friend of mine from Apple was working at this other company up in, um, up in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he referred me in uh, and I got a job there. And this was a really interesting part because I started working there. And I made a little bit more money, right? Like I got a bit of a raise going from our software company to this software company because it was bigger. Um, three months in, I was actually at this company's conference. I was sitting at a booth and I got a LinkedIn message from a recruiter from another company. Much larger company. Much larger company. Worldwide. Big name. And I like read the message <laughs> because nine, nine times out of 10, like I, and I'm, I, I don't know how many of y'all use LinkedIn for like job searches, but like nine times out of 10 recruiters that reach out to you, they're like bottom of the barrel, shitty jobs. I mean, I get people reaching out to me about like, I want to sell you a franchise. Do you want to be a franchise owner? Like not even jobs. Is it pizza? Like pyramid schemes. Is it pizza? <laughs> I wish it was pizza. Um, so I read the message, put the phone down. I picked my phone up, I went on Glassdoor and I Googled, like I, I searched the role and it was like double the salary that I was just making. And I, I sent it immediately to my wife and she's like, you just got this job, you cannot leave. And I was like, babe, I have to have the conversation. Like, this is like, I cannot let like these small little increments that I've made in my life, like go, like I have to. My wife, my mother-in-law thought I was the oh, biggest I this. dick. They were like, you can't do that. You're going to tarnish your reputation. I'm like, I'm just going to have the conversation. Had the conversation. Um, everything went well. The interviews went well. I got offered the job after three months at this other company. And the, the salary was essentially a little bit more than double what I was making at this company. More than double. More, almost, yeah, a bit more than double. Was what like, was that like? Because again, I'm always one where, I guess I, I should say that you and I are a stark contrast because you've lived your career, your work career, I don't want to say chasing dollars, but it's obviously very important to you being married with three kids. I'm not married, I have two kids, but you've, You've looked for that corporate ladder, and that's why I brought that up. You know, okay, I can be here for a year, and then I have all of these opportunities because you put the research into it. I need to make this. I want to make this. I want to make this. And it's a conversation you and I have had before where it's like, yeah, I, I can never come down even if my quality of life is better. And that's where you and I come to a head because I go, I would rather make less but have a better quality of life to spend with my kids. Not to say that you're not looking for that, but I've always been one to just go, I would rather make, I don't want to say bare minimum, but I would rather make a lot less and have a lot more happiness, quality of life. And that's just the way that I've looked at it. So yep. when you are then offered a job that is paying you more than double what you're making, 
How does that feel? Yeah. Um, well, it felt like I won the lottery, right? Like I, as I mentioned before, the student loan debt hanging over my head was, what was it at that point? If you I, don't mind. Because, so I guess maybe like, I, I didn't want to get too into this, but well, you don't have to, yeah, no, it's okay. Um, when I first moved home, obviously I, again, I was delivering pizzas and student loan payments was like $900 a month. And I had rent that was like $1,200 a month and I was making seven twenty five plus tips. So I missed that's, that's yeah. wild. I mean, just the kind of like, like the student loan crisis. Like I know like a lot of people have a lot of different views about like student loans and people's responsibilities. And like, I own my responsibility. I pay my, my dutiful, um, I pay my, my, my loans every, every month now, but like painfully. I couldn't afford to pay my loans. It was either pay my student loans or not eat or not have a roof over my head. And when you can't make those payments, what ends up happening is they balloon your interest on you and they balloon the principal on you. I left Colorado with like $98,000 in student loan debt. And by the time I actually got my feet under me to be able to start paying my loans after the defaults that I went on and like the challenges I had, not only did my credit financially suffer, um, so like my financial future was basically ruined by these student loans that like my balance ended up ballooning to $172,000. Oh, so again, like I, I say this specifically because I'm not asking for like special treatment or like, I'm, I don't want handouts. Like I, I understand everybody's perspective on this gets very political and different. I'm just showing that these loans can be very predatory, uh, predatory, and it can be really, really difficult when people are in challenging positions to be able to manage well, that. that's the thing, right? You, you, you almost double it. Then I, I saying, I understand what I did, right? Okay. Maybe you took advantage of an 18 year old and your mom too, because yep. she co-signed on it. Yep. The predatory things that happen with this, but for somebody who, Hey, I'm making seven twenty five an hour, which is half of what kids are making now going into, you know, 15, 16 year old positions. I can't pay this right now. I understand that I need to pay it but work with me. Uh, no, we're going to double it now yeah. because of interest. Yeah. yeah that's, that's where, what do you do with that? Well, and then they, they, they trick you in all of these things. Right. So, um, and this is like, and the companies have been sued recently for a lot of this. So in those moments when you can't afford it and you call the company asking for like, what can I do? And you're desperate and you want to take care of this. You don't want your credit to be ruined. You want to try to have a financial future. Um, they force you into forbearances, which, you continue to collect interest and this everything is, how, is collecting interest everything. except for the COVID stuff, but that's it's ending ticking. soon. So when you're in forbearance, you're not making a payment, but it's ticking and it continues to capitalize the interest on your principal. So your principal grows while you're in forbearance. Your payment gets bigger when you come out of forbearance. Couldn't afford to pay the smaller payment. That was $900. How am I going to afford to pay the now 975 or the thousand? So I used up all my forbearance time. And then I went back to school when I was at PlayStation, which then put my loans into Furman again, which gave me a little bit of comfort and a little bit of relief. Um, but then when I like stopped going to school again, um, surprise, yeah. we're back. Yeah. <laughs> not even yeah. surprised. Yeah. So then not going too far. We don't want to go too far into that. If we, if we go back to the job thing where you then get offered double your salary, and you feel like you've won the lottery. Yeah. What is your thought process from there? Because you have somebody, you know, you have your family members 
kind of pressing you and saying, you're going to ruin your reputation. Which maybe sounded a little dramatic, but knowing that you're very... The, the corporate ladder is very important to you. So you, you, you would take that into consideration and go, you're right. People do talk. People do know each other in this business. I don't want to do it, but it's double what I'm making. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I took the job. <laughs> I put in my notice and yeah. I got walked out of this other company like that day. On the spot. On the spot. Essentially. On the spot. I remember out. that. Yep. Um, and I took the job. And it was a great job, great company, uh, really learned a lot. That's where I feel like you really ballooned into the role that you're in now, which is with, again, a different company, but probably just as large, larger, much bigger, bigger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, um, so yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. And what's really funny is I look back now, uh, and actually let me pause, let me finish my statement first. And so I got approached again by another really large company with another really good job opportunity. The one that you're at now. The, where I currently work. So where, where you were previously, it's always funny to not have to name names just because. How long were you at that role? Um, two years. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, not super long, but um, spent about two years there. And I've now been in my current role for almost four. And, and this is the longest job you've had. I, it is. At one place. It is. It's the longest job I've ever had. We talked about that recently. Yep. Longest job I've ever had at one place. And, you know, it's had its challenges as well, um, but it's been very fulfilling and I've really enjoyed it. And again, it's given me the financial freedom I need to take care of my bills. And like, that's where like the, like, you know, it's interesting because we talk about the quality of life differences. If I didn't work this job and didn't have the money to pay my student loans, my quality of life would be so shit. I wouldn't be able to like afford to spend time with my children. So like, climbing the corporate ladder and working for somebody else is never really what I wanted to do. Right. We talked about why I went to Colorado. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to save lives. I wanted to help people. Um, I didn't really want to be a corporate, like, I don't know, stooge is too Puppet. hard of a word, but Puppet. like, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to live like the corporate life and be that person. But, um, it's what allows me to spend time with my family. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, I think my words can be easily misconstrued, right? Where it's like, you feel like you need to make a ton of money to, to live happily. And I don't, and there are different qualities of life. You have much more to sustain than I do. And I understand where you have a lot of these variables of, well, okay, but I do need to make this to have any quality of life, like you just said. So it's, it's been interesting too, to yeah. see that. And also be aware be mindful of okay so in 2017 you were making this and this is where you were and now you've had this job for four years so within three years you've essentially tripled quadrupled your income from what you were making yeah i would say about three x which is crazy again because i think i'm just overly mindful of your beginnings as a whole right where you grew up the jobs that you had to to go through go through experience however you want to put that do you feel do you, do you have those moments in your life how mindful or self-aware are you of do you have those days where you're like holy shit i wake up every day and have to fight imposter syndrome i sometimes feel like i don't deserve or feel like i should be 
where I am. Um, but I also like, I didn't really come, come like, come on here to like preach, like work hard and you get what you want. No. The American dream, because I think the American dream is fucked. I think the average American is got the deck stacked so far against them. I think straddling our young children with mountains of student loan debt um, right from the beginning only hurts further generations from being able to, you know, um, buy homes, secure generational wealth for their family, you know, live quality of life. Like right when you're like when you're accruing debt in school as a junior in high school, I mean, that's when I started like having panic attacks. I'd never had a panic attack before um, until I was like, like seeing all this debt pile up as a 19 year old 19. I know we like to think that 18 is an adult, but you're still a teen, right? Yeah. Like 18. Um, but I guess really like the, the moral of what I'm trying to say too, is that like relationships are really important. And I think a lot of times the relationships that you build are really what help you make it through life. And, um, I know I've watched a lot of people be really afraid to put themselves out there, take a risk, submit a job application or a resume. They're afraid of failure. And I can't state enough how much I know luck has played into me getting some of the roles that I have. I know I've also crushed it, right? Like I had to crush the interviews. Like it might've been like a weird luck thing that that recruiter reached out to me, but I had to go in and do a sales presentation on a piece of computer software I've never seen her touch before in my life and went over a bunch of high level senior executives that have been in that company for 15 years. So I'm not saying that I didn't do the work. And it's not perpetual it. luck that you're just finding yourself in of like, Hey, I, I applied to this. It worked out. Things were great. You had to put in the work for it, but right. these, these opportunities you had mentioned, you know, recruiters reaching out to you too, but what you didn't mention is the amount of places that you reached out to. And what, what was admirable too that I've always appreciated about you is you going on interviews knowing that you don't need nor do you want that job, but you needed to stay fresh. Yeah. Which is funny because people dread interviews. I, when, I, when I left the, the sales world and thought that I was going to be an entrepreneur and, and did end up becoming an entrepreneur, there was that doubt and I was still going to interviews and I prepared for every one of those like it was going to be my last opportunity. Because I, I guess I needed that comfort that, well, this, this entrepreneur thing isn't going to work, but interviews are fucking hard yeah. and they're, they're scary, right? Even though it's, I knew that wasn't the path I wanted to be on and then not to make this about myself, but it's interviews are, are, aren't fun, but you were doing it essentially for fun to stay fresh. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> so battling with the imposter syndrome piece of it. Um, what I have kind of landed on as the thing that makes me feel good about where I am is like this concept of you like, yes, I'm lucky, but you need to put the work out there to increase the surface area of luck. Right? So if you think about like how many lucky opportunities may fall into your lap, if you have a very small lap, you're not going to get a lot of opportunities. You have to broaden the surface area for luck to be able to happen for you. And a lot of that has to do with putting yourself out there. Like, having a conversation with somebody you don't really know about your career ambitions. Like some people won't do that. They think that it's, um, you know, I, I know like, and my wife, right? Like she was like, I would never talk to anybody about my career. I'm like why? It's being vulnerable. Yeah. And it, most people don't. And especially when it comes to money, people don't want to talk about right. it. 
So put yourself out there and build your relationships, build your network, submit for a job that may be a reach because you have to increase that surface area of luck for you to then be able to take the opportunities that you need to then, you know, jump through. Um, I think that's really like what I have learned over these last however many years is that like, because now looking back, the job at PlayStation, I said was the best job I've ever had. That entire group got fired uh, about eight months ago. Really? Yep. And funny enough, my company now is involved in the program that basically replaced my entire team that I used to work with. moment almost, huh? The other company that I was just talking about that I was working at before this one also just laid off like 15,000 people. Yes. So it's interesting to see how when you put yourself out there, and even though sometimes I felt like I was making a mistake, like felt like I really made a mistake leaving Sony PlayStation. But if I stayed there, probably wouldn't have a job today. Well, I definitely wouldn't. I mean, everybody got fired. <laughs> so I wouldn't have had a job today. I'm interested too, because you hear a lot about imposter syndrome in, with people in kind of my, my world or my spectrum of, of, of entrepreneurship, right? Where I think... The conversation that I had a couple podcasts ago with Dave, who's a photographer, you kind of it, it starts to be that imposter syndrome slash you have to embrace it slash fake it till you make it type of thing. Fake it till you make it has been I, I when I was at my um, last company, I got hired alongside my uh, my work wife. I, I adore this woman. She's wonderful. And we went to training together. Um, we went through our certification process together and she was really wound up by this like certification process. And like, I knew the sec, the technology, the software just as much as she did. And she's like, how do you like, how do you like go through this so calmly? I'm like, well, there's one of two outcomes. I'm either going to pass or I'm going to fail. And I'm going to either have to retake the certification or I'm going to pass. And there's nothing worrying is going to do about that. And it's weird. I'm like, I worry about everything in Chronic life. Chronic anxiety yeah, over here. But, wow. That's some wise uh, words. And I said to her, I'm like, listen, just, Go like when it comes to sales, especially. I know we've talked a lot about sales. You just have to fake it till you make it. You just have to put out the aura that like you are the big dog on campus until you are the big dog. On it's campus. not strictly just sales. Yeah, that's true. I think I think it's received such a negative connotation that fake it till you make it. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be who I'm not. You do because I wouldn't have gotten some of my jobs had I not gone. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know exactly how to do this when, when maybe I did, but I had never physically done it, but I have to physically do it in order to learn. So that was a, you know, fake it till you make it moments, but it's not just, it's, it's comforting, I guess. And I hope that people take from this, a fake it till you make it mentality is not a bad thing, no matter what role that you're in, whether you're in, you know, sales, whether you're in photography an entrepreneur, your own business, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think fake it till you make it can be bad if it's not coupled with the figure it out factor. You just made like a comment that literally has been like one of the, the thing that got me the job at my company prior um, is something that I actually learned at Apple is if you don't know something, the question is, I don't know, let's find out. So Fake it till you make it coupled with figure it out factor. If you have the confidence to say, hey, yeah, we're going to do this, you have to also be motivated to figure it out. And it goes to that drive to learning and kind of coming back full circle. 
on why I think school is just so like weirdly archaic is that like I have a thirst for knowledge, as I know you do as well, which is anybody with that figure it out factor where you just want to learn something, you know, we just strip a computer apart and we just rebuild it because we want to figure it out. We want to make it work. Never built a closed loop, custom water cooled PC before. And it took me days to do it, but we figured it out. Right. Um, and like school, traditional schooling doesn't really support like the ability to like figure it out. Um, you have a test and you have to answer the test exactly the way the question is answered or you pass, like you don't pass and then you fail and you get held back. It doesn't really allow you like school doesn't allow you to fail. And out in business, um, you know, one of the key things to like agile principles is fail fast. You need to get out there, fail, figure out why you failed, do the retrospective and then apply the learning and go forward and have the figure it out factor to move you through all of these steps. And like, that is what successful people do. And like, how does traditional schooling prepare our children to go out and fail, learn when like, if you fail, you get left behind in school. That's it. If you get left behind, you don't have the resources. If you don't have the resources, you're not getting into college. If you don't get into college, you're not getting a good job. Like it's this whole like cascading effect where like in today's society or today's schooling, like not matching, like where we really are as a society, like. I can't tell you any time in any job that I've held where I didn't have an opportunity to collaborate with somebody on a project, on a deliverable for a client. Not once did I have to sit down, keep my eyes on my own paper and regurgitate a bunch of knowledge from a book. I have resources. I do research. I have people that I literally go to on a daily basis in my job today and said, Hey, I have a client who's having this problem. I know you've seen this problem before. Can you show me how you solve this problem? Can you provide me some of the content that you created so I can learn how you solve this problem? And my job every day is just figuring it out and having to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Well, I, I, <laughs> you're, you're speaking to my, you know, almost everyday life because now that my son's in high school, they expect a certain level of aptitude and, and knowledge from you. And you're a high schooler. You're not in middle school anymore type of mentality. So I always find myself, if he gets a, a, a 90 on his test or a 95 or whatever it might be, I go, well, did you ask what you got wrong? No. Well, then how are you going to learn from it? Okay, you, you were successful. And this isn't to take his incredible work <laughs> ethic and go, you could have done better because I'm not that parent. But I, I, I try to instill in him that same thing. Figure it out. Why didn't you get 100? I, hey, man, I'm proud of you. 90, 95, you're doing awesome. You're killing it. But what did you get wrong? And why did you get it wrong? And how do you fix it? Yeah. Did you ask? No. Well, there's kind of this level of laziness from teachers, too, that they hand out a test and they just grade it. They don't go, did you understand you know what this question was are you having a hard time how can i help teachers aren't proactive like that most yeah. of them i don't want to put a bad name about all teachers but i try to put it on him did you ask can you can you stay after can you just make sure that you figure it out to use that yeah and i i think i just try to get him to adopt that too because you're you're passing but we want to make sure you you can figure it out otherwise yep the other the other thing too um so there's the fake it to make it figure it out factor. 
And the thing that I still really struggle with the most is uh, dealing with ambiguity is really important in these situations too. Um, that's like, I get really caught off guard and I, I'm, and this is something that like to be vulnerable and like stuff that I'm still working on through my career is that, um, I get really caught off guard in ambiguous situations and getting put in them on the spot. Like I get kind of taken aback and I don't really respond appropriately the first time to ambiguous situations. And I, I need to learn about that. And, you know, I can, I'll speak about, um, in generalities to like, literally this happened to me last week. Um, was on a call with some high level folks at my organization. He asked me straight up if I wanted to own something. And I kind of was like thinking about all of the ramifications of saying yes, instead of just saying yes right away. So like, like, because like, there's a whole lot of like baggage underneath taking ownership of this thing. And he called me afterwards. He's like, I kind of tossed you a softball there and you need to really like lean in and own that. I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I was just like, trying to process in my head all of the ambiguous items of owning this. It's like, what do you mean? He's like, and I said like X, Y, Z. He's like, you just like need to just do it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And the next meeting that we had where I did like a status update on the project that I was now owning, he pinged me on the side. He's like, this is amazing. Like coming off the conversation we had yesterday, like I was not expecting that we'd get here. And like that goes back to like making sure that like you have like, cause we have the figure it out fact right? Like have the figure out factor, but like dealing with ambiguity is also really important. I'm learning that now. And like, I know, like I don't do well with like being put on the spot in ambiguous situations and like people notice it sometimes. Like I just get squirmy about like saying yes to taking ownership. Because you're thinking, you're thinking ahead though. Most yeah. people don't. And, and there's that, there's that fine line of do it and figure it out. But also how is this going to be handled how you know how is this going to be future proofed if you will something along those lines yes well it, it's 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 the um it's the you get to a point too where like you want to make sure you build a nice a good brand for yourself um and building a brand for yourself can be really challenged by being put in ambiguous situations where you may fail. And I I know this goes like flies way counter in like this area where I said, like increase the surface area of your luck and put yourself out there. Um, so like it's kind of contradict contradictory, but like for me, the brand that I've always tried to build for myself is just putting my head down, getting work done and standing and delivering being number one in sales in the store, being the best, um, rep in the region, being like, I just put my head down and like drove for results. So taking ownership of something that can have a lot of like, there's a lot of like political um, pressure that can come onto it. There's a lot like there was a like very clear un- or excuse me, very unclear, non-defined like stakeholder ownership of like who would be the person that's responsible for signing off on this work. Like who's the one that like, and, and it wasn't very clear and I've been in situations before at my current company where, when there's unclear, like decision makers, the, um, like my brand got damaged by one decision maker because you have to make a decision. Like it's hard to like, you're getting different feedback and you have to decide. So that's where like in these types of situations where 
you know, I worry about owning something that I might fail to deliver quality work on. But um, I think it is important still when these opportunities come up that you may be nervous about, you know, deal with ambiguity, like dealing with ambiguity well is important. And that's something that like I know I need to work on um, in the future. We're back. Okay, so we're back after a really long delay of uh, you being on the phone with your job. Well, it won't be long to that. <laughs> it's easy for It'll everybody be else. Like a one second interlude from uh, segment to segment. So we have uh, a short amount of time now to kind of wrap this up. And, and there's so many avenues that we could go down as we knew. You know, there's so many different things that we can discuss just to, to, to talk to everybody else about. But it's not, it's not always for that. It's just about me and you. And we could go down the coffee route. We could go down the pizza route. We could go down the home chef route. We could go down, you know, aspirations and hopes and dreams, right? But I think the overarching theme, like you had said, of this conversation is just a an importance and a commitment to relationships as a whole. And I think a lot of people think that uh, you have to be invested in somebody on a day-to-day basis. You know, you and I talk pretty much every day, every other day, even if it's a quick text or memes or whatever memes, relationships are these the days. memes. Yeah. And, and it's tough nowadays to have in-person hangouts with, you know, families in the dynamics that we have, but there's never a, a time where we feel like we lose time. If that makes sense. You know, there's never like lost time of like, Oh my God, I haven't seen you guys in forever. This relationship is ruined. You know, right. we can always come to and, you know, have dinner together or hang out and always just pick up where we left off or start somewhere new, which is fun because there's always something new and fun and exciting to talk about. So one of the other things that I've been I've been meaning to try to say uh, in our other two segments is as we think about like our relationship and the history that we've had over 20 years, um, one of the things that I've always found really interesting is that photography has always been at the center for you. And I do have to say, like, um, I'm extremely proud to have watched you go from uh, breaking in to state facilities and taking pictures of abandoned buildings. Um, and there wasn't much breaking, <laughs> just entering. <laughs> Unlawful entering to really taking um, your own brand as we kind of talked about like how important it is to build your brand and whether or not that brand is built through trying to climb a corporate ladder or really doing what you love, um, finding a way to monetize that. Like we're talking about like future plans and, and, and being happy. Like that's like, to me, that's what the key to life is, right? It's like you found your brand, you went out, you tried a whole bunch of stuff. You found the thing that worked for you. And now you're finding a way to make a living off that. Um, and I find that like wildly fascinating through the history of our relationship weaved in and out of it has always been photos. I mean, you take my family photos, you've been there to take the pictures, like our newborn pictures of our children. You've taken our family photos, um, as well as like watching you, like <laughs> you, you video, you videoed my brother-in-law's wedding. You know what I mean? Like, so that has always been a, a key like tenant to our relationship. And I think it's interesting. I know this is not necessarily a photography podcast, but just connecting to like what you do um, and how that's been like a piece of um, our relationship. And I still, and, and you should add the vlog. I, I, the wonderful picture that I took of you and Rhea 
because of everything <laughs> I've learned from you, I, I now about take the other day. better photos. Yeah, that was a great one. And I'm just going to put that. We were at that wedding that I was filming. <laughs> make sure to put that up. Took a picture of me and the photographer, Ria, who was last week's guest. And he goes, this one was great. I had the angle. The lighting was great. And he hands it to me because he didn't even look at it and he hands it to me and it's completely blurred. I mean, not even like a little out of focus, but just like somebody had glasses over the camera and it was just hilarity. So I thought about that when I talked to her last week. So I'll put that up here (laughs) and that'll be awesome. But we have had, I mean, you and I, like in our 20 year history, we've had a lot of deep things that have connected us. Um, But I feel like those things have changed like from, you know, being teenagers and dealing with the things that we've dealt with with our parents to now being adults and we have to deal with having families but i i just find it really interesting that like the one thing that's really like stayed throughout the entire relationship and is your love for photography that's never changed um that is it's not so, yeah it's interesting to hear about it uh you know from an outsider's perspective because nobody in my life right now if i'm thinking back has is been in my life as long as you it's weird it, actively you know proactively right or what however you want to put that i i don't still talk to people that i talked to when i was you know 14 15 years old so you've been able to see that constant and you even interviewed me during covid for a project school at school project. yeah on you know photography and being an entrepreneur or business owner whatever it is so that was cool to be on the other side because i'm still out there trying to finish my degree <laughs> trying to finish what i started what Back is the degree also management information systems got it and that's at a bachelor's yeah cool so still trying out there finish trying to figure that out because to me that's like for me at this point it's not about the piece of paper it's now about accomplishing what i set off to do mm-hmm. and feeling like i can conquer one of my biggest failures which was setting out to get my degree it's been a long so. time it's been a long time coming so it's it's it means way more than just the piece of paper yeah. and it's it's fun too to look back though and being friends for this long the things that we used to do, but are also coming full circle. And by that, I mean the concert that we have in, in a few months, Can't wait. where the last time you probably saw them. So we're going to see story of the year. If you know them, great. If not, it's just a small little indie band. <laughs> we went to their show in Providence, maybe Worcester. I don't Was even remember. Lupo Center? I don't even remember where it was. I don't even remember, but long story short, you crowd surfed. Sure did. And so being able to now revisit this band, however many, 18 years later, is going to be exciting. And I already told you that you need to uh, grow your hair out and frost your tips and maybe wear a polo with the, uh, the collar popped. I'm way too fat to crowd surf now. And I, I I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you to crowd surf. Yeah, no, that ain't happening. <laughs> I'm going to have to go in with um, my like sweater vest, my pipe. I'm going to have to Not that old. yell at all these young punks for We're going to get you some ear protection, <laughs> which I 100% wear, like when I went to Slipknot and I wore it because my ears thanked me the next day. I feel like I'm in the woofer. But it's going to be it's going to be fun and it's going to be such a, a perspective for us as our friendship, which is I think is so fun and even more even more reason to be excited about it rather than so seeing the music. So, you know, it'll be it'll be fun to have another conversation too somewhere down the line as we see where not only where the podcast goes, but also where you and I go, um, you know, over the next couple of years is just living our lives as dads and yeah. having families yep. and just growing and, and doing the things that we do. So there, there's, I feel like a part two to get into about, you know, you're not just a sales engineer. 
you know, you're not just a dad, you're not just a husband. You are somebody who has a passion for cooking, has a passion for good coffee, like all these little avenues that we can go down that are, are so important that it make you as a whole too, because I don't want to just tag you as, yeah, he's a sales or a solutions engineer. That's it. That's what he does. He climbs the corporate ladder and he just works until he dies. But I think it, it's the next time we have a conversation, I want you to either have a burger truck, a pizza truck, or something there. Yeah, I've been trying to like I, I gotta re <laughs> I gotta reevaluate my food Instagram account. So I started that and it hasn't been touched for. But I haven't ta- like I was trying to figure out the the method there because like. I don't know if like I want to do like short like because you know how, like people do like the ASMR cooking like yeah <laughs> and like I, I hope the headphone users loved that yeah popping right so like I wasn't like I haven't been quite sure like what I want to do there um, I want to maybe take a step back and really focus on like finding ways to incorporate like cooking with your family and your kids mm-hmm. which seem to be the the theme so yeah. far yeah i feel like so i gotta try to figure that out but cooking with young kids more importantly yeah because you have three kids on how old is eli six yeah he's gonna be five in may or seven in may. <laughs> what kind of math may, are you doing may 5th sorry his birthday's may 5th um he's gonna be seven in may and uh emmett's four and then reese is two oof oof what a dynamic. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that's important that we get into those roles as well. We, we talk about those roles. So that'll be fun for a part two and we can dedicate more time to it. And when we have the studio, because I guess I didn't introduce this studio, Real Art Studios, where I'm going to be podcasting from now on, not in this spot specifically, uh, but for today's, this was a perfect spot for us. And uh, we'll be venturing down into the basement where we'll build out a podcast studio and have everything be be real uh real different from this we're gonna go less casting couch and more <laughs> face-to-face i don't conversation. know if you, if you like the casting couch vibes let us know but uh other than that man i appreciate you taking the time yeah it's thanks been fun. For, yeah thanks for having me on uh thanks for listening i know we've been trying to get this uh on the books for a while i know we had um a few uh scheduled and unscheduled interruptions so i appreciate the flexibility but looking forward to coming back on the pod yeah, it'll be it'll be a blast. So I uh, always appreciate our conversations and uh, seeing things from a different perspective. And uh, we'll do this for part two then. For sure. Thanks, everyone.